This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, Episode 30 for March 9th, 2006, Cryptographic Issues. Steve Gibson, a good afternoon to you. Hey, Leo. Here and uh, today we begin a series on uh, something I think everybody wants to know more about: cryptography. Yeah, this yeah. is going to be exciting. Today we're going to cover cryptographic issues, societal issues, and so forth. But uh, over the next three or four episodes, a lot more, uh, including how it works fundamentally. Uh, any issues we want to cover from previous episodes before we dig in? No, I think we're pretty clear to start. Okay. I am. Um, I, I want to. I'm excited about this. I know that a lot of people are interested in in what cryptography is. That sort of on the technical side, how it works. You know, what are public keys and private keys and certificate authorities and signing chains and and all of that. And so, in the over the next few weeks, I re- I want to really. Or I want to take our time, explain this stuff very clearly so that we've created a real foundation of, of understanding how these basic technologies um, interrelate with each other. And then, of course, they're, they're all about how we're using the Internet today. You know, OpenVPN that we've talked about for remote secure mm-hmm. access uses certificates. Um, we know that secure web browsing uses certificates. Um, you know, like, you know, what does that mean? What is a signing authority? And, and I mean, really, how does this stuff work? And I think what's surprising is that it can be explained in a way where people are going to go, wow, I get that. I mean, they're going to come away with an understanding of it. But before we really got into the technology side, I wanted to talk this week about, you know, sort of the kind of the ethics of crypto because something has happened that is significant just in the last decade or so and that is that that end users just regular people have thanks to the academic community really getting involved in crypto have acquired access to free simple usable technology which no government, I mean, not their own government, no one else's government, no corporations, no one can crack. Now, this is no accident because, in fact, uh, Phil Zimmerman of PGP, which was really the first you know, widely accept, uh, accessible public key cryptography, did have an agenda. He wanted to create uh, a strong cryptography that the masses could use, not just well, I, I mean, political dissidents. Uh, in fact, it's widely used by them. Uh, people who are in fear of their life, but also here in the United States who didn't want a government eavesdropping on them. Well, of course, yeah. Uh, PGP stands for pretty good privacy, which I always I always appreciated that acronym because, I mean, it is way more than, than pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's a little self-deprecating unnecessarily. So it's, yeah, it's, it's strong it, crypto. If you use it, it's all you ever need, yeah. privacy. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, of course, there's been all this controversy in the United States recently um, about this warrantless NSA surveillance of U.S. citizens, where, you know, post 9-11, um, the, the, the George W. Bush administration t- took it upon themselves to to change the way they got permission for for basically eavesdropping on U.S. citizens and doing so-called warrantless surveillance, meaning that, you know, they wanted the right and have, have, have taken the right to 
to eavesdrop on any conversations which basically which they wanted to um, in in the interest of United States national security. Well, and that's what's changed since Phil came up with PGP. We this is you know his, his all his work was pre nine eleven. Well, it's changed a lot since nine eleven. However, you feel about this, there there certainly is a legitimate cause for concern that terrorists are now capable of hiding their tracks by using widely available crypto. I mean, the, the, if there was a news story recently that said Skype, which is uh, secure could be used for making phone calls without uh, any possibility of wiretapping. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting, too, because, you know, the, there are the, the, the people who say, hey, I don't care if the government wants to listen to what I do, to my phone calls, to my Internet access and so forth. Um, you know, and their argument is I'm not doing anything wrong, so I have nothing to hide. Right. And, you know, and, and they argue that, hey, if, if you're not doing anything wrong, what are you worried about? And at the same time, we know that there are commercial interests that would apparently like to know what we're doing with our computers. You know, I mean, there, I guess corporate espionage is a real thing. And so you can imagine executives in a, in a, in a corporation spread out over the Internet wanting to hold a, a teleconference where they absolutely are sure that Nobody, no, from a corporate espionage standpoint, nobody can listen in on their conversations. Right. And this is where it gets dicey. I mean, there is, you know, we're balancing public interest in and in public safety with a right to privacy uh, and a, a right to uh, to free expression. So it's a, it, you know, it's not for you or me to decide about this, but certainly we should talk about the issues that are raised. Well, and and you know the you know you were talking about how okay terrorists could use. um, cryptographic voip like skype apparently provides in order to in order to have conversations in plain sight so to speak that that no one is able to decrypt at the same time there's i mean you know and and we would all agree that that's like a bad thing we don't want people plotting against the the health and welfare of citizens of 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 other countries you know in their midst and being able to do so you know, but you also, I mean, and I'm not suggesting that that's a good thing by any means, but if that weren't available, wouldn't these bad people, these bad actors, find some other means for communicating? Perhaps, I mean, perhaps. I, you know, you know, I've asked Phil Zimmerman this point blank, specifically, and he says you got to take the good with the bad. And um, in his opinion, um, well, first of all, this cryptography is out there. It's, it's probably too late to even debate this. The horses have left the barn. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it had a long time ago, even when the United States was trying to classify it as munitions and prevent it from being exported, it was there. It was out. So uh, maybe so, it's a moot, so, moot so, conversation. So, so the argument there being that, you know, sort of like guns, I guess, you right. know, it, it's like... Bad guys oh, have them anyway, so... E- exactly. Right. Even if it's illegal, bad guys will still use it, breaking the law, in order to use it to... To hide their their actions, right, right, precisely. Uh, it's there, it's out there. Um, you can argue back and forth, but the fact is, uh, everybody has access to it. I use it all the time. I sign every email I send with a PGP cryptographic string. Uh, it's not encrypted, but the email is signed so that you know it came from me and that it hasn't been modified. And that's for authentication of of the stuff right. you send. That's a very well, valuable thing. Know, 
And, you know, we're talking about OpenVPN. Well, an OpenVPN connection, the type that, that and I'm still working on the guides, that's coming along, so people are going to get that. But an OpenVPN connection cannot be cracked by anybody. I mean, no government will be able to eavesdrop on the traffic over the OpenVPN connection. Now, we're doing it because we don't, we don't want script kiddies and hackers and, and, and malicious people who are snooping on the Internet to have access to our traffic. And so the question will be, I guess, is then, well, should the government have a backdoor to these kinds of technologies? Mm, no. <laughs> Let me think about that for a second. No. Uh, and, and the reason is because while the government's benign now, we can't always be assured of that. And we know that uh, PGP is used by dissidents in fear of their lives in many totalitarian governments. Uh, in fact, that's why Phil created it, he says, is uh, for countries uh, where you couldn't speak freely and you needed this. Hmm. So, so, well, of course, I guess th th there was that whole clipper chip during the Clinton <sighs> administration yeah. where clipper was going to be a a federally mandated and, and approved technology that would specifically have a, a backdoor that would allow, you know, citizens, unquote, to communicate with relative security. But anything the government needed to decrypt that was Clipper encrypted, they'd be able to access. Ah, yeah. And, and, and of course, course that it, went down it, in flames. <laughs> it, it died big time. No, no, nobody wanted that kind of technology. Now, that was pre-9-11, as I remember. So I wonder, oh, yeah. I wonder uh, what the climate is today. Do we, uh, let me ask you, uh, do we know for sure that there aren't governmental backdoors? For instance, Skype isn't saying whether there's a governmental backdoor. They're, they're not asserting that there is not. Actually, they sort of imply, and this what's make, it's what makes me nervous about it, they sort of imply that they will cooperate mm. with anyone that they need to. Also, you'll note that you may have an encrypted Skype connection to Skype, but when you use Skype out, for example, to transit onto the public telephone system in order to use the Skype service to, to bridge into the normal audio telephony world – you're you're decrypted, which means that Skype has to be able to decrypt your encrypted connection themselves. I mean, I have to tell you, Leo, I've actually been, you know, for a while I was thinking about writing my own VOIP system from scratch. Then it turns out that the Skype that we're using right now and upgrading equipment and things rendered that unnecessary. But I've been considering maybe doing a little VOIP encryption tool myself just because... It would be nice to be able to have a conversation. I mean, not that I have anything to hide, but it's just it's creepy thinking that you might be listened in on and you'd like to know that that's not happening. Well, now this puts you on the hot seat. Um, what about terrorists using it, Steve? Well, I mean, that's the double edged sword. You, you could argue that that people have a valid reason for for having a private conversation. I mean, and the U.S. Constitution is all about this. I mean, there's there's protections in the way the United States was formed because the people who wrote the Constitution came from a, an oppressive government that didn't have these kinds of protections. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of erosion of those kinds of civil liberties. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to get this all political, but I mean, because it's about technology. But, you know, 
it's always the case that technology and the evolution of technology creates these sorts of dilemmas. Absolutely. And this is right on the hot border between politics and technology right now. So these things do need to be addressed. Sounds like you you come down, and I, I think I agree with you uh, strongly on the side of uh, freely available crypto. Uh, it does make it really hard for police agencies, and I don't and I don't know what the answer is to that. I really don't. Well, you know, my feeling has always been the one lesson we learn and we see over and over is you cannot legislate against technology. You know, technology is a is a force of nature. I mean, it's I mean, literally it is. But it's it's something you you can't you can't say, oh, this exists, but we don't want you to use it or to do it. I mean, well, sorry, but it exists. (laughs) And and so we're going to. And and you you raised a really interesting point that I think is a great topic for, for this first podcast on crypto. And that is how do we know the government can't listen in on things? Um, it, we ought to talk about it now, and then we'll talk about the, the, the math and the, the way this stuff works in, in, in following weeks. But what is so cool about contemporary cryptography is that there is no hocus-pocus. There is, there is nothing unknown about the way it works. We're not, we're not requiring you know, any sort of like, you know, remember the, the classic um, uh, cartoon uh, where there's a blackboard and a professor is is jotting down all this super fancy formulas and equations and things and gets the whole board filled and he's sort of like it looks like he runs into a dead end or something and gets <laughs> and gets stuck and he so so he says so he writes down on the blackboard dot 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 and then a miracle happens <laughs> e equals mc squared amazing <laughs> exactly and and so what what what's so cool about modern cryptography is that we know exactly how it works and we know why it cannot be cracked now there are some assumptions that crypto is based on for example it's based on um some some crypto very very popular crypto is on the the incredible difficulty of factoring because no one has ever been able to figure out a way to factor really big numbers fast so if a big number is the product of two primes it's very difficult to find those two primes, and those, in fact, end up being the keys. Is that right. correct? Right. You, yeah. you, you use two really large prime numbers, and you multiply them. So now you've got basically a, a, a number twice as long <laughs> as, as either of those. And it turns out that it is just mathematically incredibly difficult. I mean, and, that, and the beauty is now all these academicians, super powerful mathematicians who we have to presume are as good as anyone the NSA or any other government's security agencies have, cannot come up with a way of of reversing that process. So in general, crypto is about some so-called one-way functions, things that are easy to do in one direction that you just, you, you can't undo that in any reasonable amount of time now and and so the beauty is that that the strength of the crypto is solely the infeasibility of mathematically doing something and everybody in the world has pounded on it trying to come up with a way to like you know test it and and see if there's a way of beating it so so we can presume that unless 
there's like, the, for example, the NSA actually did have some means for reversing this process that no one believes they have, and they're probably really pissed off right now that they don't have some way of of, of doing that, then crypto is secure. I, I just, I can't help but think that there's somebody listening to this deep within the the recesses of Fort Meade. Giggling. The, giggling, smiling a big grin, saying, well, what you don't know on her. kind of looking at his buddy in the mm-hmm. other cubicle, giving him a thumbs up. Do you think? I mean, it's it, there really is no evidence that this has ever been solved, and it would be it's mathematically would be a big deal. Well, it would yes, it would basically the 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 prime factorization problem is the foundation of one class of crypto. It, it it's the way a lot of our public key technology works that we'll be explaining in detail in a couple of weeks. So that would just collapse yeah. if. If if this prime factorization problem were solved, it's not that but it can't I mean, be done. It's just that it takes such a long time that it's not feasible. Well, it's that no shortcuts have right. been found. Right. No, and, that we, and, again, that we know of. Well, exactly. No, no shortcuts have been found that anyone knows of, and only very clever approaches that involve that still involve lots of brute force processing is the only way that people have been able to to deal with this so for example people have you know cryptographers have said okay the problem is this hard so the NSA would have to have or or a government agency like with government level funding the soviets to, <laughs> exactly well they they would have to have a computer that was able to do this much work in this much time right. that would be this big that would cost this much mm. in you know in nineteen ninety and it would cost this much in two thousand and this much in two thousand ten so i mean there are there are you know the the crypto people have like got curves and charts that show the rate of processing growth you know against all the best methods known of cracking this stuff. And saying, you know, that that means that a key of this length is is this secure. That it was it would take a machine of this much power, you know, this many centuries in order to crack the key, knowing everything we know now. And then they extrapolate into the future the rate of processing growth and and so forth in order to say, okay. Nobody is going to figure out your credit card number. I suppose, although, as in Fallen Dragon, at some point, uh, there will be, you know, enough processing power somewhere to crack all this and we'll have to come up with something new. Well, it, it certainly is a matter of, of processing power. That is to say, there, the, the goal that you're trying to achieve, for example, in this, in the, in this one instance of prime number factorization the goal is well known it's like you know here you have this really large number and you know for sure that it's the product of two primes so it's not like you don't know how to crack it it's just that you can't and again that's the beauty of modern cryptography is it it relies not at all on obscurity the all of this has been published in mathematical journals. I mean, one of the constant background projects is prime number factorization. Like the, the, you know, the world's best math genius guys, you know, cut their teeth early in their careers on prime number factorization to see if they can come up with some way that no one else has thought of. And I mean, it's it's incredible what what amount of 
of science and math has been applied to this, and it isn't budging. It is holding solid. No one has made any substantial progress in decades. So, I mean, it really looks like this is a problem that has, no matter how clever you are, can only be attacked with brute force. And and so we know what brute force requires in terms of processing, given all the cracking technologies that have been that, that have been put together. And so we can say, okay, if you know a government level processing power worked on this thing for for a thousand centuries, they would be able to crack it. But by then, it would have zero value. Let me, let's ask talk a little bit about how crypto is used, because I mean, when you say crypto. Uh of course, you assume that what we're talking about is taking an email message, scrambling it so it can't be read by anybody but the intended recipient. But it's really used for many, many more things than that. Well, for example, you know, we were just talking about hotspot um, VPN or open VPN using crypto just because we want to make sure that no one in the local environment could be sniffing our mm-hmm. network connection and know what we're doing. And as, as we all know, whenever we're entering our credit card information, it, crypto is used only between the client browser and the e-commerce server just as it crosses the Internet. As soon as it gets to the server, it's decrypted back into plain text, as it's called, so that the e-commerce server is able to process our credit information. Does digital rights management also rely on crypto? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's you know, basically... They're trying to do things which a consumer will not have the information to undo. I mean, I'm, I'm skeptical about any form of DRM standing the test of time. The, the, the problem is that you need to, for, for, for DRM, you need to put into the end user's home a device which itself is able to decrypt the content. Otherwise, order- you wouldn't be able to play it. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, your DVD what, what, player knows how to decrypt a DVD. It has it built in. It has to in yeah. order to in order to give you back the original picture. And and so, you know, their solution is now there's all this, you know, the HDCP technology trying to push the crypto all the way out to the display device so that you can't capture the signal going from the DVD player to mm. your to your screen, but still the the projector or the TV set it has to know how to decrypt this. And I mean, th- there are lots of smart people in the world and lots of reverse engineers, and there are people who are going to be annoyed by by the entertainment establishment trying to, you know, basically protect the entire channel right up to your retinas. <laughs> Crypto is also used, as I mentioned, in uh, digital signing. It's not used in digital signing. It's not used to hide text, but it's used to validate text. Is it the same kind of crypto? To authenticate. To authenticate, yes. yeah. Yeah, authentication is a is a really interesting branch and it's something we will be talking about here in the next couple of weeks because exactly as you say, the idea is that you want to you want to sign a document, you can leave it in in plain text, but but you want to come up with a way of verifying two things. You want to verify with with signing that no alteration Mm -hmm. has occurred to the document Mm -hmm. from the time it was signed by its author, and you want to also verify that it actually was created and signed by the person who you believe it was. Mm -hmm. And so so it, it... it provides you know that level of sort of a, an envelope 
around the document, which anyone can read, but nobody can modify and no one can forge the signature of the document. So that's pretty widely used in a lot of different areas. Uh, any other areas that uh, we m- may not know about that crypto is in use? I'm trying to think. Uh, copy protection, encryption, of course, digital signing and authentication. Um, it's used in voice over Internet or any kind of transaction over the Internet, like uh, uh, secure transactions on your credit cards or VPNs. Well, and of course, you know, um, people who are who are doing um, for pay um, uh, TV delivery, either cable boxes or satellite, they've also using crypto in sure. order to in order to protect their channel. So those so are the only users who are paying for their services are able to receive them. Video and, on your uh, TiVo is encrypted, so you can't steal it. And, and in fact, that's another the, the 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 satellite or the cable box is another example of content providers trying and failing again yeah. to protect their content because there's all kinds of satellite and cable box you know um, decloaking and and hacking and and you know content stealing technology around because it's it's virtually impossible I would say to protect something all the way to the end. Of, of of the channel. And in fact, one thing we haven't talked about, Leo, and this is a perfect answer to your question, is as we know, Microsoft Windows and Intel are moving crypto into the platform. So so that there will be technology in every single next generation PC which will be involved in giving the operating system and the the hosted software a, a tighter grip over what the end user is going to be able to do. That's controversial on both sides. The government doesn't like it because they want a back door, and consumers don't like it because it builds DRM into the system. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really is a, a war of rights. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. I mean, it, it, there have been many great books uh, written on cryptography. It's a, it's a field that has been important in so many ways from uh, Napoleon's army to the Enigma during World War II and, of course, now to PGP and, uh, and, and the politics of uh, terrorism. So this is, this is going to be a great subject. How many, how many episodes are we going to devote to this? I think probably about four, actually. Okay. Um, we're going to start with how uh, the not-so-secret decoder rings work next time, which is a, a, a perfect intro to symmetric cryptography. We're going to talk about symmetric ciphers next week, then asymmetric ciphers the week after, then probably hashes and um, and how signing works, and then sort of put all these pieces together. Because what's so cool is these are some very clear and easily understood building blocks that you can then literally assemble in different ways to perform really cool and, and very different sorts of jobs in crypto. So it's going to be neat. Good. Steve Gibson, always a pleasure. I, I know there will be great interest in this. And more and more I'm hearing from people who are saving the shows and sharing them with other people, people who are in the field, who, uh, who use it for education, uh, people who are not in the field but want to be in the field and are learning more, and a lot of people who understand security but want their friends, family, and coworkers to understand a little bit better too. So you're doing a great job. We thank you for your hard work. Glad to do it, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Everything is online at grc.com slash securitynow.htm. That's where Steve keeps uh, the transcripts for this, thanks to Elaine, who types this up with her 
little fingers as quickly as she can right after we finish the podcast. She, she by the way, she I got a little note from her this morning because the weather is looking pretty bad where she is in uh, in California. Uh, um, she may be she wasn't sure if she like lost her satellite uplink whether she'd be able to get the transcripts on time, but she said she stayed up too late uh, last night, almost finishing Fallen Dragon. Oh, she's reading it. I, I can't I stop. It. I can't stay. I can't. You are. I can't. You're a pusher. <laughs> I can't stop. It's getting very exciting right now. It very really cool. is. Yeah. If I didn't have so many darn podcasts to do, I'd be finished. <laughs> uh, by the way, while you're there, there's also a 16 kilobyte version uh, of the show, 16 kbps, so that uh, if you, if it's too big a download for you to get the full uh, uh, quality version, get the low quality version. That's fine. And um, uh, show notes with lots more information and links in a place where you can give Steve some feedback. Great forums. It's all at grc.com. That's where you'll find SpinRight as well. That's the program that makes this all possible. Steve's uh, file, uh, or rather disk maintenance and recovery utility, probably the uh, guarantee you the best one in the business. If you uh, can't recover it, it with SpinRight, you, you you can't recover it with software, that's for sure. Uh, grc.com. Hey, thank you so much, Steve. We really appreciate it. Don't forget, folks, if you like the show, somebody asked me this, and I want to kind of underscore it. They said, well, I've donated to Twit. Does that count donating to Security Now? Absolutely. But if you haven't donated and you listen to any of the podcasts on twit.tv, your donation would very much be appreciated and certainly uh, helps us keep doing these kinds of things. It pays for our bandwidth, our server costs, our site redesign, all the expenses, equipment expenses, and so forth. Uh, You can find the donate buttons at twit.tv. Steve Gibson, we'll see you next week for more on crypto. Crypto 102, I guess we'll call it. <laughs> yeah, and we want we want to remember to thank AOL oh, for... You, you, I almost didn't, didn't I? <laughs> Thank you. I don't want to get them mad at us because, gosh, they push a lot of bandwidth for us at AOL Podcast Channel. It broadcasts this show, by the way, at AOL.com slash podcasting and provides us the bandwidth for the show. Steve, thank you for reminding me. No problem. Have a great week. Talk to you next week. Security now.